Host a beer festival named Peak Ender. This comes from Ferment Magazine number 42. This was my third box of beer from Beer 52, and it actually came between Down the Danube and Raise the Bar. This was from August of 2019. Peak Ender. What is Peak Ender? I'm going to read Richard Crowstale's editor's note from the magazine. It's hard to believe that Thornbridge's Pekenda Festival is only in its sixth year. It's such an institution, yet here we are. The festival has an awesome lineup again this year, and we're happy to bring you the flavour and fun in this month's Beer 52 box. As well as catching up with Thornbridge and some of the other featured breweries, we're out and about in Sheffield, meeting members, hanging out in bars, and chatting with snooker legend Jimmy White at the Crucible itself. I really hope the rain stays off the Pekenda again this year. Not least, because I'll be there. So that's Peekender. Let's see what Peekender say about themselves on their website. Oh, it's got its own website, peekender.co.uk. And they're hoping to bring it back for next year. It's scheduled in for the 13th to the 15th of August 2021. And this is what Peekender say about themselves. Thank you for your patience and support at this extraordinary time. We've been monitoring the situation closely and have made the difficult decision that the festival will not take place this year. We hope you understand that we are acting in the best interests of our festival goers, artists, staff, suppliers and of course the incredible NHS. We'd love to see you at next year's festival, 13th to the 15th of August 2021. Stay safe, healthy and we hope to see you on the other side. The beer. Like beer. You're in luck. We've invited the stars of UK Brewing to join us in providing you with a stunning selection of craft beer. The food. If you fancy yourself a bit of a foodie, fantastic news. We have an outstanding selection of street food to tickle your taste buds. And it is just near the brewery. It seems to be at... It's a Bakewell showground, which is literally just down the road from the brewery. The brewery is just on the outskirts of Bakewell. And if you're really nice to me, and give me some good listener figures, I may, I may, tell you about the time I went to Thornbridge Brewery. Look, Bakewell is about 13 miles from Buxton, which is the nearest train station, but there is a bus. You can get the bus to Bakewell and it stops outside the brewery, nearly. Thornbridge Brewery. Richard Crowstale enjoys a pint in the sunshine with the team behind one of his favourite breweries. Cracking beer and lovely people, spitting distance from the Peak District and Sheffield. It's probably fair to say we'll take any excuse to visit Thornbridge. So as soon as I heard we'd be basing an entire box around its annual Peak Ender Festival, I was straight in the car, ensuring room in the boot to carry out a couple of cases. For those not familiar with Thornbridge, it was established in the grounds of a grand old house with which it shares its name. While the production brewery has since moved to a more spacious accommodation a short distance away, the original kit is still up and running, and features from the house can be found on every bottle and can it produces. Since its garden shed foundation back in 2005, Thornbridge has deservedly gone on to become one of the UK's most respected and successful craft breweries, whose flagship beers can be found all over the country. 
wouldn't surprise me if they export as well, to be honest. I've never been great at sitting still, though, and the past couple of years have had a lot of change, including more expansion, new breakaway beers, and a massive investment in, shock horror, a state-of-the-art canning line. OK, I'll just interject here. Because as I said, I have been to the Thornbridge Brewery. I went in December of 2018. This is a story to come another week, but I'll just interject this. On the brewery tour, they showed us their canning line. It is massive. But before that, they showed us their old canning line. They've got two canning lines. Because they've got an old canning line, which is quite small. And then they've got their new, more modern canning line, which is absolutely massive. It takes up almost a room to itself, this canning line. Let's get back to this. It was a glorious day in Bakewell when I met head brewer Rob Lovett and co-founder Simon Webster. So we pull up a couple of benches outside the brewery tap room with keg-laden forklift trucks trundling industriously past us in the sunshine. I opt for half of Greed Mountain, Thornbridge's big, juicy New England IPA. This beer has been one of Thornbridge's success stories over the last 12 months, overtaking long-standing favourites to become its second bestseller. It's really excellent too. It's juicy without being too sweet, with just the right amount of bitterness in the finish to make it sessionable. It was a beer I was reluctant to brew because I felt it was a faddy style, and I saw a lot of Nipahs being brewed badly, particularly in the UK. I also had concerns about shelf life. You never want your beers to be sitting about. But if it tastes awful in a few months, that's just unacceptable. So I insisted on six months shelf life. And the whole team put their heads together to come up with a technique that allowed us to be completely consistent. We got there in the end, and I've come around too. I'm really proud of it. We're 15 next year, but in brewer's years we're about 138. So we always have to have the classics, but we also need to stay relevant, for our own interests as well as for commercial reasons. So if there's a beer cell brewers are drinking, that we see people enjoying out and about, then Rob and his team will have a go and will generally nail it. That's how Green Mountain came about. The launch of Green Mountain coincided with the Thornbridge's new 1.5 million packaging line coming online kicking off one of the most significant changes in its history. It's been a roaring success with Jaipur in a can almost instantly becoming the brewery's best-selling product. Given the obvious appetite for cans, does Simon feel he was late to the party? We're late movers, and take our time. This wasn't something we wanted to move in too quickly, because we wanted to be capitalised enough to buy the best canning line available, to protect the beer. Because that's what we do, the beer comes first. It's been great though, people are really happy with drinking Jaipur in cans, even though it's been in bottles for the past 10 years. Oh, so it must have been the bottling line that I saw then. So they've got this massive canning line, and then the other packaging line I saw must have been their old bottling line. For every Jaipur, Green Mountain and Lucas, though, there is what Simon describes as a long tail of smaller batch brews. In fact, while Thornbridge's top four beers account for about 60% of its volume, the remaining 40% is split between about 15 different beers encompassing traditional and widely experimental styles. My first beer up came from Thornbridge. Yeah, I got the Thornbridge beers out of the way first. There was two. This was the first of them. It was called Bliss Point, a 5% New England IPA. The description on tapped says, an unfined and extremely crisp pale ale with tropical fruit characters, namely papaya, passion fruit and guava, from the American Hot Profile, which features Cascade, Simcoe, Citra and Azaka. Hey guys, welcome to another week of beer reviews here on the Cyber Show, Beers from Lockdown. Tonight we are going all the way back to August of 2019 for my box of beer from Beer 52. This is the Peak Ender box for Thornbridge's Peak Ender weekend. 
and I am starting on a can of Thornbridge Bliss Point. This is a hazy IPA, 5%. It's in a teal coloured can with gold lines on it and a gold Thornbridge logo named in white. It was canned on the 31st of the 7th, 19 and had a best before of 31st of the 3rd, 20. So it was out late at the end of March. <laughs> Bliss Point is a modern take on an American pale ale style with a slight haziness and big juicy flavours from four US hops. And the last person to stick this in was June. Beginning of June. Alright. Let's get this out into my glass. I've got my beer for two side first glass. Let's out into my glass and see what I think. We go then. Three, two, one. Oh, foams up a little. There we go. There we go, falls a very hazy, light golden colour, it has a one, two, three finger foamy white head. Heads fading quite quickly. Mmm, smells of tropical fruit. Mmm, cheers. Oh, that's quite nice, especially since it was outdated March. Mmm, there's not that much sweetness to it, I was expecting a bit more sweetness to that. Mm. Very punchy, very fruity, but very dry profile. I was expecting a lot more sweetness than that. Mm. Mm. It's okay. Mm. Definitely interesting. I am going to give that two of them. Mm. I'm going to give that a three and a half out of five. Yeah, not too bad that. Moving a little bit sweeter for me. One brew that's got a lot of attention lately is Necessary Evil. Originally brewed for the Firestone Walker Invitational and inspired by that brewery's Parabola Stout, a 13% bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. It's from his first stab at a big black beer. And as a big fan of the style, my opinion is he's absolutely smashed it. The bourbon comes through in vanilla and coconut notes, but without the treacle sweetness you sometimes find in barrel aged stouts. And it wears its high ABV very well. Naturally, being Thornbridge, it launched in May. We like to launch our beers when people least want them, jokes Rob. There's actually only a handful of the 9,000 bottles left. The tap room has moved since I was last here and is set to move again at the start of next year into a purpose-built space for 300 people, complete with kitchen. Ah, so they're moving the tap room, my love. That's interesting because the tap room was just in the back of the main space. This will accommodate the fact that the brewery itself is becoming a real destination for beer lovers, despite being a little out of town. This is undoubtedly in part thanks to the ever-growing popularity of Thornbridge's Peakender Festival. Now in its sixth year, Peakender has quickly become a permanent fixture of the UK beer calendar. 
like Fine Fest in the Beavertown extravaganza. It feels like it's been around forever. As has been the case for the last couple of years, peak enders say he plays at the Bakewell Showground and features more than 100 beers from 17 breweries, a comedy tent, food trucks, and talks from the likes of Firestone Walker's Matt Brynaldson and beer podcaster Emma Inch. Yes, Emma Inch does a podcast called Fermentation Beer and Brewing. It's more of an industry-focused podcast, but it's quite interesting. I was actually involved in one of her shows. She did a podcast from Barcelona Beer Festival, the first outsider to do a podcast from Barcelona Beer Festival, a couple of years ago, and I attended it, and it was really cool, it was really good, it was really informative. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, this year will also include a fringe event spread out across Thornbridge's pubs, where even more breweries will showcase their wares. The growth in beer festivals in the last two years has just been incredible. I think people are seeing them as an alternative to music festivals, which are expensive and the beer tends to taste pretty terrible. Yeah, I can vouch for that. And it's expensive as well. A lot of people just say, I don't want to put myself through that anymore, says Rob. I went to Reading Music Festivals for eight years. And yes, the first year I went, my ticket was £85 for the weekend. The last year I went, my ticket was £185 for the weekend. And it's now over £200 for a weekend ticket. And the beer is mass-produced macro lager. It is ridiculously expensive. Slam continues, there's a lot of young people who don't realise it wasn't always like this. We can stand in a field with a hundred different beers. Generally, the explosion in the last ten years has been phenomenal. You expect to have decent beers wherever you go now. Or at least have the choice. Go back twenty years and you were lucky to have three beers to choose from. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of an over-exaggeration. Well, there's undeniably a lot of choice on offer. Peakender is, and has always been, a pretty relaxed affair in beer terms. It's more about doing a brew in the sunshine with family and friends than hammering on taps with 50ml samples until you can't feel your legs. Yes, he's having a go there at the European model, the Mikula Beer Festival and the Barcelona Beer Festival and the Budapest Beer Festival model, as well as some of the craft beer festivals here in the UK that use the sample model. If you want to stick to Jaipur all day, that's absolutely fine with Simon. Being family and community orientated in this way has always been a key part of Thornbridge's ethos and can be clearly seen in its eight pubs throughout Sheffield. When did they have pubs in Sheffield? Most of these were existing pubs that the brewery took over and built up for the community, Simon explained. Yep, eight pubs. And none of them more than the £7 taxi ride from my house, he jokes. It's our beers, but they're not craft beer bars, they're community pubs. The Greystones was one of the first. It was about to close, so it gave it back to the community. It's in a nice area, but the pub had a bad reputation. People ran past it, so taking it on was a bit of a gamble, and people thought it was mad. But my thinking was that if I cleared the site, you'd be able to build a pub there. There are some great pubs in the suburbs. It's not all about the city centre. Dedicated to the community it calls home, but also on a mission to get its delicious beers into hands far and wide, Thornbridge keeps growing while keeping its heart firmly in the right place. I don't know what fresh excitement the next couple of years might hold, but I do know I'll be at Peak Ender looking for clues. And probably drinking Jaipur in the rain. My second beer up from Thornbridge was their Market Porter. A 4.5% English porter. Named after our pub in York, the Market Cat, Market Porter is decadently smooth and creamy. Expect coffee and chocolate character balanced with a light roastiness. Ooh, that sounds good. Let's see what I made of this one. Hey guys, welcome back. Sub beer show, beers from lockdown. 24th of August 2020. Right, there were two Thornbridge beers in this peak ender box. I've drunk both of them tonight. 
This is Thornbridge Market Porter Tavern. Market Porter. Market Tavern Porter. Market Porter. Says, Market Porter is decadently smooth and creamy. Expect coffee and chocolate character. Balanced with a light roastiness. The Heide Brewerieage bottle opener. From my trip to Utrecht. So that's your bottle. It's got a red label. Like a brown label with orange on it. The logo in silver. And the name in white. There's your Thornbridge bottle cap. Let's get this out into my glass. I'm doing this one out of my flavourly glass. Alright, there we go. Three, two, one. Oh, and this one had a used by... <laughs> and it's dropped into my other glass. Typical. This one had a used by the 30th of July. So, a month out of date. Just under. should be enough. The top dropped in that glass. <laughs> Cheers everyone. Let's see what this one's like. Mmm. Comes in a 330ml bottle. Oh that's quite nice. Mmm. Roasty, toasty, little bit watery. Mm. It's quite. I can get a little bit of chocolate. It's very smoky. A little bit of dryness. Mm. A little bit of coffee, maybe. Not that much. It's okay. I've definitely had better porters from Thornbridge. It's not too bad. Um, I'm going to give that a... Give that a three and a half out of five. It's not too bad. Could be better. Could be a bit thicker. Could be a little less watery. Here comes the mantra of 2019. Needs more body. During lockdown I've been staying with my parents in Wales. My dad and I have been homebrewing. I can't remember how many of these homebrew reviews have made it into the podcast, but I know a few have. But the week of these reviews, namely the 25th of August, my latest batch of homebrew was ready. It was from Young's Homebrew. It was called Oat Rum Ale, or O-R-A. It's got wood chips in it. I really like it, but I won't touch it, so there's lots of it left. <laughs> anyway, as it was O-R-A, I've called it Rita Aura. Hey guys, I have a special extra beer for you tonight. I've got my two out of my beer 50 box coming up soon. But first, my latest batch of homebrew. This is Young's Homebrew Oaks Rum Ale, O-R-A. Or as I've decided to brand it, Rita Aura. <laughs> well, it was Aura, so call it Rita Aura. Here you go. This was bottled just over a week ago. This was bottled last Monday. 
So it's firmed up a lot. It's not quite ready. This had oak chips went in it, so there might be some oak bits floating in this. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> smells good. It's an oat rum ale. That's what O-R-A stands for. Oat rum ale. Oh, you can definitely smell the rum. It smells boozy. It's come out half percent stronger than planned to. It was supposed to be 6.5 and it's come out at 7. So, cheers everyone. It is a very dark amber colour, but some people may call traditional. Mmm, oh wow. Oh, that's very nice. Nice, sweet, very fruity, very juicy. You can taste a little bit of the rum in the background. Didn't say what rum they'd used, it came from a pre mash kit. As all my homebrews have. So the mash came as a liquid in a bag. But you added the oak chips. You got a bag of oak chips to add to it, so you added the oak chips to it. Mm, definitely woody. It's quite nice, huh? Mm, especially for 7%. It's going to turn out to be quite nice, I think. So it probably needs another week or two in the bottles just to firm up properly, but the bottles are firmed up, which means it's fermenting still in the bottle. Mm. Mm. I'm going to give that... I'm really tempted to give that 4 out of 5 and it's not quite ready, so... <laughs> really delicious. Do you know, I think that's going to come out... Uh, when that's ready, that's going to be amazing. Oh, oh! I've got an oak chip, an oak chip foam floating in the bottle of that. So I'll have to try and avoid drinking that. I'm going to go. I'll be back in a few minutes with my next beer. I've got two beers out my box for review for tonight. So until then, cheers, guys. Have a great evening. Enjoy what you're doing. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. My next beer comes from a brewery in Scotland called Fine Ales. That's F-Y-N-E. When Fine Ales was founded in 2001, the aim was to bring prosperity, jobs, industry and tourism to the quiet, isolated corner of Scotland that our founders called home. We're proud to be a modern rural farm brewery, to use our stunning, rustic, Argyll estate not only for sustainable farming, but as a base for production of the highest quality progressive beers that are enjoyed all over the world. Brewing. Fine operates two breweries on the Akdunan estate, both housed in converted farm buildings originally erected by our founders' ancestors. The original brewery. The original Fine Owls was installed in a former dairy building in 2001, a conversion which saw the open barn-like space divided up to create separate fermentation and conditioning rooms. The brew kit was a modern second-hand 10-barrel, 1,600 litre, two-vessel British design system for single infusion mashes. Though simple in design and very manual in operation, the equipment served us proudly to produce all our beers for over 13 years, coping admirably with the strain of nine beers per week for several years, until the new Fine Ales Brewery was commissioned in 2014. When the new brewery opened, the original brewery became something different altogether, a workshop for the Fine Ale Brewers to experiment, to test ideas and to create new and exciting beers. 
The original kit came into its own as an agile, flexible and adaptable solution for brewing ambitious new recipes. The original brewery is now home to our Origins Brewing project, with a growing forest of oak barrels around every corner. The lo-fi nature of the original brewery, coupled with its flexibility and its quirks, make it the ideal facility for brewing unique, provenance-centric Origin Brewing beers. It's a project that's all about uniquely rustic, uniquely fine ales, and the perfect home for the celebration of our farm brewing. In 2012, despite running our small brewery at maximum capacity of nine brews a week, we were unable to keep up with the demand for our beers, and there was a growing feeling that the long-term success of the brewery hinged on our ability to expand production. It was important to the team that production stay on the Akadunan estate. So converting an old sheep shed close to the original brewery to install a brand new 40 barrel 6,500 litre brew kit from British manufacturer Musk was deemed the best option. The Fine Ales team felt it was important to support another UK business in choosing who should fabricate our new brewery. Being a proudly British brewery, brewing beers for cask in British conditions, we're proud to have partnered with another British manufacturer for the projects. We began work on the project in 2013, with groundwork to ensure the structural stability of the new space the first major hurdle, before any equipment could be installed. The full project took just under two years to complete, with the commissioning of the new brewery celebrated with our friend from Drurier's de Molen. The new brew kit is a bespoke British three-vessel system with a full-size hop back, allowing us to draw maximum flavour from whole-leaf hops. Compared to the lo-fi rustic character of the original brewery, the new brewery is a labyrinth of state-of-the-art technology and stainless steel. Our managing director, Jamie Delap, often compares the two facilities to types of racing car. The original brewery is an agile, trustly old rally car. The new brewery is a high-performance Formula 1 car designed for the absolute best possible performance. The new brewery has helped us deliver our best ever tasting core beers and a range of one-offs and special brews that have sold out in record time. The history of fine brewing. Before 2000, Tuggy Noble grows up on the Akadunan Estate, a farm in rural Glenfine, Argyle. The 4,500-acre estate includes a salmon farm, peatrich hills, habitat for wild red deer, and grazing land for a herd of highland cows. In her teens, Tuggy moves to London, where she intrudes the jubilant lifestyle and meets Johnny Delap, an English businessman. They married in 1967 and raised two sons, Jamie and Michael, in Hampshire, 2000-2002. After a health-related early retirement, Johnny and Tuggy returned to Glenfine with the aim of finding new purpose for the family estate to create jobs, tourism and industry. On Tuggy's suggestion, they start the process of converting the former dairy building into a brewery. A two-vessel brew kit is installed and Finale's first head brewer is recruited. The first Finale's recipes are designed a traditional full-bodied amber called Highlander is brewed on St Andrew's Day, 30th of November 2001. With the need to dispose of the spent grain from the brewing process, Tuggy revives the estate's farm with four Highland cows and one heifer, the beginnings of a new herd. 2003-2009 The brewery continues to grow, both in reputation and demand. With increasing popularity around Scotland, Tuggy sees tackling cross-country deliveries with her trusty Land Rover and trailer. A further two core beers are introduced. Maverick and Vital Spark, and Fine Ales wins its first handful of awards, including gold in Cibber Scotland competitions and bronze in Canberra's Champion Beer of Britain. Fine Ales recruits a new head brewer, Will Wood, who designs the recipe for a new core pale, Avalanche. In 2009, Johnny Delap suddenly passes away after prolonged ill health. His son Jamie returns to Scotland to assume the role of managing director. 
And I know Willwood. Willwood's actually from Peterborough. <laughs> he ran his own brewery for a while and he now runs a brewery in Norfolk. What's his brewery called? I've met him a few times, Willwood. He and his dad were both regulars at Hand and Heart in Peterborough. So I knew his dad and then I got to meet him because I met him one night. I'd heard about him. He's sort of a little bit of a legend around Peterborough, is Willwood. Really? Oh, hell. He's moved again. There we go, Lacons. That's where he was the last time I, I knew him. So Willwood was at Oakham from 97 to 2006. The head brewer at Fine from 2006 to 2012. Then from September 2012 to November 2019, he was at Lacons Brewery. Which is where I thought he still was, I didn't realise he'd moved again. But since the 2nd of March this year, he is currently the head brewer at Grainstore Brewery in Oakham. Wilwood. Wilbur Wood, in fact, is his full name. He's not a William, he's a Wilbur. Wilbur Wood. So yeah, Wilwood worked for Fine Nails. Let's uh, go back to this. 2010 to 2013. 150 visitors attend Fine Ale's first summer beer festival in June 2010. The first Fine Fest is marked by the launch of a new session beer, showcasing a new American hop, Citra. Yarl quickly becomes a brewery and community favourite. Well, given what I told you about Oakham pioneering the use of Citra in 2009, I'm fairly sure Will Wood would have brought the idea of using Citra hop with him from Oakham. Renovations take place to convert a former grain store into a brewery tap and shop. Powered by solar energy, the shop opens to the public for the first time in summer 2012. Its continued success in national awards increases the demand for fine ales beers. With the brewery operating at its maximum capacity of 14,000 litres a week, options are explored to build a new brew house. We undertake a successful river restocking project to increase salmon numbers which have dwindled due to overfishing. 2014 to 2016. The new Finals Brewery, featuring a state-of-the-art 6,500-litre all-British brew kit, is installed in a converted sheep shed across from the brewery shop and tap. Maximum capacity extends to 100,000 pints a week. Jarl wins the Society of Independent Brewers, SIBA, Overall Champion Award in 2015. In late 2016, Finals begins work on the Akdun and Deer Farm project, establishing a herd of over 100 red deer over the winter months. 2017 to present. Our Origins Brewing project launches in late 2017 as a showcase for small batch experimental beers brewed in our original brewery, designed to celebrate Fine Ale's unique providence. Fine Ale's wins Beer Destination of the Year, Beer Event of the Year and Innovation of the Year at the Scottish Beer Awards in 2017 and 2018. Fine Fest 2018 is the biggest in the event's history, welcoming 2,500 visitors and pouring beers from over 60 UK and European breweries in June 2018. That's your introduction to Fine Ales. It's a long introduction for one beer I know, but... Oh, um, and just before I go, Jarl, J-A-R-L. Some people say Jarl, I say Jarl. And the reason I say Jarl is... Well, I've always said Jarl, to be honest, but... Recently, I've got playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is Vikings. And a Jarl, J-A-R-L, a Jarl, is the leader of a Viking clan or settlement. There you go. There's something interesting for you. This beer was called Easy Trail. The description on the website says Easy Trail Session IPA. Easy Trail is an easygoing session IPA inspired by leisurely walks through rural Scotland. The perfect pickup to go. A fridge filler to be enjoyed however and whenever you feel the need for refreshment. Which is exactly what the untapped description says. So there we have it. Let's see what I thought of Easy Trail. Hey guys, welcome back. 
Tonight I have a can out of my beer 52 box, Fine Ale's Easy Trail. This is a 4.2% pale ale, session IPA in fact. Fine Ale's Farm Brewery established 2001 and I know a guy who used to work for Fine Ale's <laughs> amongst many other breweries. He was formerly the uh, brewer at Oakham. It says, Fine Ales is a family owned Scottish farm brewery creating modern, ambitious and progressive beers since 2001. Easy going IPA with juicy berry and citrus flavours with a crisp piney finish from Cascade, Amarillo, Simcoe and Mosaic hops. I just can't escape the Mosaic hops at the moment can I? So there it is, it is a green can. Not sure what the pattern's supposed to be but it's got the name in black on a white band around the top and the brewery logo as a white silhouette on a black background around the bottom. Comes in a 330ml can, 4.2% so let's get this out and see what I think. Oh hello beer heroes, nice to see you. Oh and this was out of date in January I believe. This one January? No this one was February. This one was best before the end of February. These are coming out of my box for See what I think of this, it's a dark golden beer, completely clear, it's got a one finger foamy white head. Mmm, smells hoppy, smells juicy. See what I think of this. Probably should have had a glass of water to clear my palate after my homebrew effort, but well, let's try this one. Don't normally do this when I'm at beer festivals. Mmm, mm, that's interesting. You can tell it's got, um, which one is it, Citra? No, Mosaic in, because it's got quite a skunky taste to it. Mmm, that's a lot less sweet than I was expecting it to be from those. Hmm, it's not too bad. Not too bad, but... Hmm. So now I've started rating in point ones now. As I'm tapping this rating point ones. And... But yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to give that a, you know what, I'm going to give that a bit there, I'm going to give that a 4 out of 5. Nice, sweet, piney, juicy, fruity. Yeah, I was deciding between sort of 3 point something, 3.7 or 3.8 or 4, but I'm going to go for 4, I'm going to give it the bend of the day. That is nice, that. Alright, I'm going to go. I'll be back in a few with another one. Great evening. Enjoy yourself what you're doing. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. Our final beer for this section came from Northern Monk Brewery in Leeds. We've talked about Northern Monk before. I've had 80 beers from Northern Monk over the years now. There's one there at the Black Toad I've completely forgotten about. That's what happens when you drink 80 beers from a brewery. You start forgetting what you've had. And by the time I'm sober I've forgotten what I've had and everybody tells me that it's cool to be a cat. My first taste of Northern Monk beer came on the 22nd of November 2014 when I had the Northern Star which is 
their Christmas beer, it's their Christmas porter. Northern Star is their Christmas coffee porter. Really enjoy this one, try and get one for around Christmas time. And I had that at, did I really? Ooh, the Craft Beer Company in London, in Brixton. What was I doing in Brixton? Oh, I must have been in, I must have been seeing a gig at Brixton Academy that night. 14, 22nd of November 14, I was most likely seeing Carter than Supple Sex Machine. Oh hell, it won't let me onto the Northern Monk website. It's blocking me. The security certificate expired almost a year ago. 296 days ago and therefore, oh there we are, proceed. Northern Monk, the brewery, this comes off their website. Our beer is brewed across two sites. The first is our original brewery at the Old Flax Store. This is where we began our journey in 2014. This is also home to our Leeds taproom. We expanded into our second, much larger brewery at Sindham Road in April 2017. Between both sites we can brew up to 18 beers at a time. The Old Flax Store is a grade 2 listed building located in Holbeck, the spiritual heart of the Industrial Revolution. And quite literally right behind Leeds train station, it's about 10 minutes walk as you come out of Leeds station. In 2014 we turned this derelict mill into a brewery, taproom and event space. The building is home to our first brewery which takes up the ground floor of the building. Much of the beer on tap in the Northern Monk Refectory is brewed on the floor below, which means that you're drinking the freshest beer we can possibly serve. Our second brewing site is located in Holbeck, half a mile away at Sindham Road, where our 8 times 100 hectolitre conical fermenting vessels enable our total capacity at this site to reach 24,000 hectolitres. Sindham Road is home to our 12 fiddlehead 6,000 camper hour monoblock rotary canning machine that we installed at the end of 2018. The increase in capacity and installing the new canning line at this site has allowed us to increase both the quantity and quality of our beer. That's a little bit about Northern Monk. Let's see. This beer from Northern Monk was a 6.2% international IPA called New World. The first hops from the New World arrived on UK shores in the 1800s. Packed with a New World flavour, okay. citrus, zest and pine. I have this is our tribute. New World IPA is our brave and bold evolution to the Indian Pale Over three centuries since the now universally beloved star was first pioneered in London, taking inspiration from vibrant New World hops. But from the vantage point of the star's Saxon origin, our signature IPA features a combined profile of five varieties from the US, Australia and Britain. This modern English IPA drinks with a sort of sweetness from British pale malts, which is balanced by a sturdy presence of hot bitterness. We are on a quest to create the best beer we can whilst giving back where we can. This beer was brewed for you, for us, for our community. New World India Pale Ale. So that's what they have to say about it. Let's see what I have to say about it. Got my flavourly glass tonight, so let's get out into my glass and see what I think of it. And Peter a Beer Festival should have been starting today, so. This will probably go as part of my Peterman Replacement Beer Festival, which I'll uh, continue at the weekend. There we are, that should be enough. Wow, that's, that's lively. That's poured a very hazy golden colour with a one, two, three, one, two, three, yeah, four finger. Extremely foamy white head. Right, so let's see what I think of this then. Mmm, smells malty. Mmm, quite juicy, quite piney. 
not much from those outfits in January. <laughs> hmm. Quite sweet, quite juicy to begin with. It goes quite dry on the back end. It's got like a dankness to it. So the last one had a skunky flavour. This really does have a skunky flavour to it. Hops are part of the cannabis family, so. Mm. It's okay. Cheers, guys. It's okay, it's not the best rarebit style I've had. I haven't had this before. I am going to give that, it's not too bad. I'm going to give that a three and a half out of five. Right, cheers guys, have a great evening. And do yourself what you do, stay safe. Not so safe. Even though this show was recorded in August and September, it's going out in December. I ran a Twitter poll for 24 hours asking whether or not I should do this and the votes came back and said yes. Five people voted all yes. So the midpoint music for this podcast is a Christmas song. It comes from a singer guitarist from the USA. I'll tell you about her now. Born in Anchorage, Alaska, Hope Griffin was literally born into music. Surrounded by a musical family, she began playing and performing when she was very young. Hope first turned onto the idea of writing her own music when she received a guitar aged 17. She attended Carson Newman University where she went on to receive a bachelor's degree in classical voice. It was there her true flair for songwriting developed. Hope's drive to perform her original works was launched after winning a songwriter's competition in college in 2007. She eventually moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where she began introducing her angelic vocals and folky lyrics into the local music scene. Hope quickly began to rise as a Asheville favourite in 2012. Her debut single, Hanging in the Balance, made international radio play. She was recognised in the regional publications such as the Herald Journal, the Mountain Express and the Daily Times. She appeared on WNC television and began touring all over the southeastern United States. In an effort to expand her acoustic sound, she teamed up with New Jersey-born cellist and Nashville transplant Jamie Lee Bennett to create a dynamic guitar-cello blend of original sound. In 2016, 2017 and 2018, she consecutively snagged both singer-songwriter and the best acoustic folk band titles in Western Carolina through community votes. Together, their combined fusion of her silky vocals and Jamie Lee's deep, rich cello lines has made for a listening experience quite unlike any other. Hope's in-your-face style of ballad writing, as well as the duo's reputation for playing fresh versions of songs that span the decades, has made them popular amongst the range of age groups. And before the COVID-19 pandemic, she regularly performed at wineries around North Carolina and has recently just got back into doing it and she also performs via Periscope and I found her through connections. People who watch Claire Means also watch Hope Griffin and they shared Hope's stuff out so I started watching, enjoyed what I was seeing and I hope you enjoy this as well. 
This is off her Christmas album and the lights will shine. I believe it's the song the EP title is actually taken from. This is It's Christmas Time.
first beer this section came two weeks after finishing the last one because I got distracted by various things so for this half these beers were reviewed on the 14th and 15th of September let's see where I went and what I did Living the Cornish Dream when you're as well known as Harbour Brewing it's easy for people to bypass exactly why you're in business in the first place life comes first says owner Adam Sargent but if you have to work What's the next best thing after enjoying life? Brewing beer. Or maybe making cakes. Harbour's beers are solid, well-made, heritage styles tweaked for the modern tastes. And Adam is very proud of that fact. For him, what's important is knowing whatever Harbour beer you pick up, whether it's a pint in a pub or a can in the supermarket. It is consistent and fully delicious. Because where's the fun in cracking open a potential drain pour when you want to be refreshed instead of being challenged? We're not about pushing the scene with hazy juice bombs or anything like that, he says. I do love a good juicy beer, but we don't look into making them. We know our strengths are heritage beers. Beers that are brewed using traditional techniques and recipes, updated with a modern twist. So that's what we do. And we do them well. Harbour Brewing sits happily in beautiful Bodmin, Cornwall. And the wild, rugged landscape all around inspires the brewers as much as the ingredients they use. Being Cornish is a big deal to Harbour, and while many of the folks who work at either of their two breweries are interlopers from other parts of the world, there's a common appreciation and love for Cornwall, and the freedom it offers to take care of those who explore it. We're selling that Cornish lifestyle, explains Adam. We wake up every day inspired by Cornwall. Selling that lifestyle further afield was a brave step to take for Harbour, but it seemed them right. Now around 99% of their beer is sold outside of Cornwall. In such places as London and Leeds, Places where the thought of surfing Cornish waves or hiking Bodmin Moor is aspirational rather than a way of life. When people drink beer, it should be secondary to their experience, says Adam. If beer isn't driving you, it's part of the whole. We look at Harbour's beers as something you can crack open to refresh yourself after getting to the top of a hill, or in your van after a day at the beach. For us, it's not about heading out to drink beer, first and foremost. It's about enjoying a beer as part of the fun. Fun is a big word for Harbour. For a while, Adam felt things weren't fun anymore, so they've invested in The Hinterland, a research and development brewery to bring back some joy. The 30-barrel main brewery with its canning line can turn out one beer a second if it wishes, but while there's a special sort of pride in maintaining and using a state-of-the-art brew kit, it can seem a little hands-off. It all went a little serious for a time, but it's fun again now, says Adam. Commercial brewing can be clinical, so our experimental brewery reminds us of why we do what we do. The Hinterland is an experimental beer-based playground filled with a sort of nerdy kit that you only usually see in your wildest dreams. As well as a mobile cool ship, which Adam says can be moved outside to collect microflora from the specific apple trees on their land if they want. They've got four fermenters, two conditioning tanks, and an oak-open fermenter, fooders, and even some amphora. Amphora are clay pots, usually terracotta, which have been used for storing liquids, waxes, oils and other powders since Neolithic times. More and more experimental breweries are using them to create wild and naturally fermented beers, ciders, cider beers, wines and meads. But they're totally not commonplace. Back to the cool ship then. A word that has become more commonplace in craft brewing over the past five years or so. Adam says it enables them to make truly unique beers every time given that different local microflora will be circulating in the air around the world at different times of the year. With our main brewery, we know exactly what we want and what we're going to get. 
With the experimental brewery, we don't necessarily know what to expect from the beer that we're brewing. It's about tasting every day and waiting until the perfect moment. We use local ingredients too, and one of our recent experimental beers took in Ben Glazer's sourdough bread from Tombshed Farm. He's one of the best sourdough bakers in the country, and it crumbled into the mash. What came out at the end was delicious. They aged some lager with cedarwood lately too. What was cool about this product is we put cedarwood into the beer as it was lagered. The result was so subtle, but it really changed the complexity. It was still refreshing and people recognised it as a lager, but it was different. Lager brewed at Harbour Brewing Co is a matter of pride. The soft water is perfect for the style. So Heller's was used as both a homage to one of the easiest drinking summit beer styles ever, and as a recruitment exercise. Adam explains. I like using lager as an introduction for people. It's easy to forget that lager is the most popular beer style in the UK. People are buying it all the time. So if you can introduce people to better lagers, they're going to want more and more from their beer in the future. Our Hellers is one way we can bring people into our experience of enjoying good beer. We make some of the best lager in the country, and lager is inclusive. Beer gets taken so seriously sometimes, save that for beer festivals. Speaking of which, they're hosting something of the knees up at London Craft Beer Festival. Sticking to Harbour's fun-based principles, they're having a 60-minute German beer festival in the midst of one of the biggest craft beer festivals in the country. We're selling lager, and we have an umpire band. It'll be a laugh, says Adam. Best get your lederhosen out of storage. This beer from Harbour Brewing was a Dama Extra Pale, 3.8% English Pale. Dama is named after a beautiful bay near the brewery. It is a bright golden pale ale brewed with sucrose and vanilla malts, and uses Sars, Silesia, Mosaic and Citra hops, pine and lemon aromas. It has a jellied citrus fruit flavour, and a clean crisp finish. So let's see what I made of Dama Pale Ale. There we go. Alright, I'm just going to be like that, you just have to see me cut off. I'm, I'm very not. Right. Hey guys, welcome back here on the Side Beer Show. I am finishing off the box of beer I started, and the beer I am drinking out of it today is a 3.8% extra pale ale. Harbour Brewing Company called Dama. There is it's an orange can, it's half white, top half white, bottom half orange, orange wavy line. Aroma, pine and lemons, palate, jellied citrus fruit and barley sugar, finish clean and dry lemon and grapefruit. So they used by of 0720, so about a month out of date, month and a half out of date. Oh no, that's before end of 0720, so it's two weeks out of date. It's really nice here, it's about 23 degrees out at the moment, which is why I'm sat outside today. I would have been on earlier, but I've got a Wi-Fi extender and I've been trying to get it set up and working and it's not behaving. Let's get this out into my glass. I have my Beer 52 Cyberfest 3 glass and see what I think of it. Okay. 3, 2, 1. Come in a 330ml can. And there we go, that should be enough to taste. Cheers everyone. Mmm, smells citrusy. It's got a very thin foamy white head, maybe a half finger or a quarter finger foamy white head. Mmm, not too bad. A little bit dry, a little bit biscuity. Um, 
expected a little bit more sweetness for me. There it is. So nice light golden colour. Mm. A little bit of juiciness on it. I'm not overly impressed with that. Quite juicy, quite fruity. Could do anything a little bit sweeter for me. dry malty flavour on the back end. I'm going to give that a three and a half out of five. It's not bad but I'm not keen on that malty biscuity dry backbone. Welcome Hackapunk. I'm drinking Harbour Dame. Extra parallel. So right, not really my thing. Um could do with being a little bit more juicy, a little bit sweeter. Nice and juicy on the front, but it's very sort of dry and malty on the back. So yeah, three and a half out of five. Not bad, not bad. But a few from Harbour. I've enjoyed quite a few from Harbour Brewing Company. So, cheers, guys. I'll grab some new. Do yourself what you do. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. Our next beer, actually our next two beers. My last beer on the 14th and my first beer on the 15th came from a brewery in South Wales, close to Cardiff. Tiny Rebel Brewery from Newport in Gwent. So if you don't know Tiny Rebel Brewery, here's what they say about themselves on their website. Who are Tiny Rebel? We are Tiny Rebel, an award-winning brewery from Newport, South Wales. We are the youngest and only Welsh brewery to win Champion Beer of Britain. We are the only brewery to have won gold, silver and bronze in the Champion Beer of Wales competition in our first year, no less. And the only brewery to have defended the gold the following year. We were the Cibber Brewery Business of the Year and International Beer Challenge UK Brewer of the Year 2016. But really, we're just fans of super tasty beer. The first of these tiny rebel beers was Easy Living, a 4.3% American Pale Ale. Some days it's okay to put your feet up, that's why we made a drink that lets you kick back and relax. Wind down to smell the citrus, a tropical taste with a perfectly smooth finish. Whether you're out sunning yourself by the barbecue, or Saturday session in the sap house. You'll be in a happy place where you can stay all day. And it reminds me of that song. Um, what's the song? Summertime and the living's easy. Lana Del Rey recently did a cover of it. Oh, what's it called? Um, Doing Time, that's the one. Originally by Sublime. Yeah, Doing Time by Sublime, that's the one I'm thinking of. Summertime and the living's easy. Anyway, I'm getting distracted now. 
So let's see what I thought of an easy living pale ale. Comes from Wales, from Newport, just outside Cardiff. And this is a can of Tiny Rebel. Easy living pale. There's your can, it's yellow on the top, goes about three quarters of the way down and pink at the bottom. It's got orange text and balloons with the Tiny Rebel bear. It says, I, bright pale, nose citrus mango, taste citrus tropical, easy living. Take a load off. We have just one rule. We never just make vanilla ice cream. So this could be an ice cream pile. As always, it comes in a 330ml can. It's 4.3%. Yep, should be a fruity one. Right, let's get this out into my glass and see what I think of it. I have my Cyberfest 3 glass washed out from earlier. Oh, wow, that's fizzed up around the top a little. Right, oh yeah. There we go. It pours a nice clean golden colour. It's got a warm two finger foamy white head. It's got lots of bubbles running up it. Right, let's see what I think of this then. Heads dissipate quite quickly. Mmm, very tropical nose. Cheers guys. Mmm. Too bad. Little bit thin and watery. Mm. Not too keen on that. I'm not getting. I'm not getting much flavour out of that at all, to be honest. All I'm getting out of that really is like carbonated water. Unfortunately, sorry Tiny Rum. I've had some good beers from you, but that's not necessarily one of them. Mm. No. Mm. No. There's nothing for me that. I'm going to give that a two and a half out of It's not really that much to it, but somebody else may like this, so try this if you see it, if you can get your hands on it. It's really, really not my thing. No, oh, a bit too easy. It's pretty good, it's got a good nose. I'm not getting any of those things on the taste. Really carbonated. And quite watery. Oh, no, not for me that. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, Tony Rebel. Alright, I'm gonna go. Cheers, guys. Tiny Rebel timeline here. 
Two guys in a garage to a bespoke brewery with thousands of fans. We've grown a lot since 2012. Since then, every year has been bigger and better. We're showing no signs of slowing down though. We've got countless projects on the go and some exciting stuff coming up to show off soon. So it took them two years to get up and running. The first timeline entry is 2014. In March, we collaborated with Hogan to launch our first cider, Rocksteady. Then in April, we let our first lager, Boho, loose on the world. Investments were made, adding new fermenters, casks, software and staff, allowing us to level up the business. Level up the business. See, these guys are gamers. Our floating bar, the Urban Tap House, beat strong competition to be awarded a trophy from Shortlist Magazine for being the best new bar in Britain. In October, we won the Insider Media in Wales Food and Drink Award. Oh, and between those two, we became the first brewery to defend the Champion Beer of Wales title at the Great Welsh Beer and Cider Festival. 2015. In May 2015, we opened a mouth-watering pop-up bar in our hometown of Newport, called the Urban Pop-Up. Freshly made pizzas, beer brewed just 10 minutes away, and that distinctive Tony Rebel atmosphere brought something totally new to the city. We made it three years in a row in the top three of the Champion Beer of Wales competition, with Hadouken taking bronze. But 2015 brought us something even more monumental. We became the first brewery from Wales and the youngest brewery ever to win the Champion Beer of Britain competition, with Kutch taking the top prize. And I tried Kutch at the time, it was quite nice. Kutch, C-W-T-C-H. Kutch, as in Kutchy Kutchy Q, it means a cuddle. We brought Cardiff its first independent beer festival, inviting brewery friends from all over the UK to come and show Wales what they do. And in October, we opened our second permanent bar on the site of our urban pop-up. 2016, we reached maximum capacity with no options for expansion, but that didn't stop us. Still wanting to keep that creative spark alive, we promised to brew 30 new beers over the course of the year. Our original brew house was put up for sale in preparation for the next chapter in our story. We secured a site, got onto the drawing board with our architects and announced plans to move to a bespoke new brewery for 2017. We hit 20 export destinations, brewed our thousandth guile, released Kutch as a homebrew kit, became the main sponsor for the Newport Food and Drink Festival and then won two major awards, Sibbers Brewery Business of the Year and the International Beer Challenge UK Brewer of the Year. In August we attended the Great British Beer Festival for the first time, with eight cask lines on our main bar. We became one of only a handful of breweries to have been invited to occupy a part of the main bar and sell out by Sunday. 2017 We began brewing in our new home in January 2017 and officially opened the new brewery in July. Our dual stream 30 barrel brew house gives us a maximum capacity of 5 million litres annually. We invested heavily in packaging with a new cask racker, German kegging machine and Italian bottling line. For the first time ever we were canning our beers, bringing an American canning line in house. We quickly realised this place wasn't big enough, so in September we bought the plot across the road, doubling our footprint here in Wern and giving us plenty of space to grow into. We opened our doors and welcomed you into our world, with tours and tastings and an incredible bar on site. We're extremely proud to call this place home. 2018. From two guys in a garage to a bespoke brewery with thousands of fans. We've grown a lot since 2012. Since then, every year has been bigger and better. We're showing no signs of slowing down though. We've got countless projects on the go and some of the exciting new stuff to show off soon. 2019 2019 saw us redesign all our cans, hit supermarkets and grow to a team of 137 rebels. We brewed over 4 million pints of beer and put out 102 new beers. 
Our seventh birthday was one hell of a party, with a hundred tap takeovers across the country. And across Europe, there were some across Europe as well, I attended the Tiny Rebel tap takeover. At Dead Crafty in Liverpool. And I've got their box from last year and the year before. Towards the end of that year we began working on our new 30,000 square foot distribution hub, which is set to open in mid-2020. I'm curious as to how they got on with that now. I first encountered Tiny Rebel at the Hand and Heart in Peterborough on the 5th of September 2013. I was obviously going out for my birthday weekend. Where I'd rank the Urban IPA, which I quite enjoyed. And then, almost two months later, on the 24th of October 2013, I drank their Loki at Thomas Rigby's in Liverpool, which I also really enjoyed, and I also rated 4 out of 5. On the 24th of February 14, so then I didn't encounter them again though. So after the 24th of October, it was almost another five months before I had them again. This time drinking their beatbox at the cellar in Chester. And I really enjoyed that. And then it was another ten months before I drank them again. Again at the cellar in Chester on the 4th of January 15. I had their Loki Light, which I also gave a four out of five. And it was eight months before I found them again. At the Abbey. Who remembers the Abbey? Wow. The Abbey was a great little real ale bar in Liverpool, which used to occupy the space that is now occupied by Head of Steam. And that was on the 11th of August 15. I drank their Billabong Australian Pale. It was in 2015 that Tiny Rebels' rise to fame began, with the Kutch being named Champion Beer of Britain at the Great British Beer Festival. And I drank it that October at Harker's Arms in Chester. I've had mixed reactions to various of their beers over the years. I said earlier one of my favourite beers from them was their Stape of Porter. But I wasn't overly impressed with it when I tried it at the National Winter Ales Festival in Derby in 2016. But it's grown on me over the years. So that's a bit about Tiny Rebel. Let's see what beers I had from them. The second Tiny Rebel beer was called Cali. This is a beer I've had before. I recognise the name. Cali is a 5.6% American Pale Ale. I've had it four times. Bigger than the beef between the Bloods and the Crips. We bring you a beer that's hopped to shit. Wrapping from the port to Rodeo Drive. Juicy and fresh. Cali has arrived. Westside. Our American Pale Ale is inspired by the rough and ready West Coast. Things aren't always sunshine and lollipops. Forget Beverly Hills. Don't let the juicy tropical fruit flavours fool you. This one is a big bad mother lover of an APA. Come and join our gang, Holmes. I've had this four times. First time I had it was in on the 28th of March 16 at the Ostrich Inn in Peterborough, off their craft line. Then on the 14th of December 16, it cost me £5 a bottle at the nightclub 24 Kitchen Street in Liverpool, where I'd gone for a gig. The only time I recall going to 24 Kitchen Street was when I went to see Attila the Stockbroker. I'd gone to see a performance poet and musician called Attila the Stockbroker. He's really good, you should look him up. But it's probably the best rating I gave it. Next time I had it was 18 months later on the 24th of June 18 at Craft & Company, which is a bar on the Rose in Chester. And then another two years passed and I had it this time out of my Beer 52 box. Let's see what I made of it. Sabish, eh? Beer from lockdown. 
15th of September 2020. Tonight I have a can of Cali from Tiny Rebel Bruco in Wales. There is a blue can with the Tiny Rebel bar and the palm tree on a bike. Cali written on in like a sail, like a boat. It's 5.6% and it was out of date two months ago. 16th to the 7th, 20. IPA, um, APA, American Pale Ale. Right, here we go. Three, two, one. God, this is tight. Wow, that went sort of everywhere. Cyberfest 2 gloss tonight. God, this is just going everywhere. Fortunately, fortunately I have a bit of paper here. <laughs> Right, pours a very cloudy golden colour. It's got a one, two, three finger foamy white head. Smells tropical. Last time I had one of these, it cost me five pound a can in a nightclub that sells craft beer. So it's a fruity one. Smells fruity. Cheers, guys. Right, let's get this down me and see what I think. Mmm. Ooh, that's quite nice, quite fruity, quite juicy, quite juicy, quite fruity, but also quite dank, a little bit dry. Mm, not too bad. I'm going to give that a three and a half out of five. Size of the can, it comes in a 330ml can. Or a 33 centilitre can. So try this if you see it. This is regularly available. Um, this is available. This is available in most supermarkets, I believe. Pubs stock it and late night venues stock it. Right, I'm gonna go. Cheers, guys. Hope you've enjoyed. Maybe you go out and find this for yourself and give it a go for yourself. So have a great evening. Enjoy some of what you do. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. Now that's magic. Richard Crowsell catches up with Magic Rock's Richard Burr House on experimenting, growing pains, and that sale to Lion. Magic Rock was one of the first UK breweries that experienced the kind of hype and cult adoration that is more common in the US, and, unlike some of its contemporaries, has managed to retain a special place at the hearts of many fans. It has also become one of the few properly credible craft breweries to achieve real mainstream status for its eye-catchingly designed core range. We asked founder and CEO Richard Burhouse how Magic Rock managed to walk the delicate line between integrity and commercial savvy. Well, I wouldn't say we're quite a household name yet, but in terms of formula, I think we try to stay true to what we want from beer. Flavour, and above all else, drinkability. Obviously we're influenced by the wider beer landscape, but I think we also try to put our spin on things. We don't necessarily want to be the hoppiest or weirdest. We want to be the most drinkable or still packing in the flavour. Someone ordering another of our beers is the biggest compliment they can give us. Like any successful brewery, Magic Rock's story involves a never-ending succession of capacity upgrades. Each seeming wildly ambitious at the time, but soon bursting at the seams as the brewery's reach and popularity grew. Aside from the obvious physical growth though, Magic Rock has evolved its focus and outlook, always looking ahead to how it could stay relevant and competitive in an increasingly tight and professional market. We've had to evolve in some ways, for example with the rebrand we went through with our core cans. 
Yes, I will put upon my social media. I have an original can of dark arts at home. So I'll put that up on my social media next time I go back and compare it to the new can. Quite how the rebrands help them stay relevant, I've no idea because I really, really like their original design idea. It was full of ghosts and shit. But beer-wise, we're still making the same cool beers we started out making in 2011. But we're always looking for ways to make them more consistent and trustworthy. The big steps for me were the centrifuge we bought back in 2016, which improved the profile of the beers no end. And the canning line we installed in 2018, which gives us market-leading packaged oxygen levels, meaning our beers stay fresher for longer. More recently now, I'm lab stroke quality control technician and our planned expansion will introduce big improvements to brewing quality as well as our sensory and quality control. One of the most common gripes amongst experimental brewers that's suddenly dealing with huge production demand is that their attention is split, forcing them to either focus on core quality or pleasing the novelty hunters. This is definitely something Richard has had to wrestle with and he recognises that some fans' expectations that, that Magic Rock would continue pumping out one wild beer after another which after all is a big part of his brand, could easily detract from what he sees as his more important priorities. Richard says, I don't want us to be making 50 new beers on the big kit every year in 10 years. For me, that's not what good beer is about. What we want to do is supplement the core beer sales with interesting and innovative products which advertise our capabilities and keep us interested. To our mind, our best work should always be our core beers, the ones we've refined and perfected. The next expansion will see us adding a smaller pilot kit which will allow our brewers to stretch their rings creatively without impacting negatively on our core range output. The UK scene has undeniably changed since Magic Rock fired up their brew house in 2011 and Richard admits to being somewhat surprised that the whole craft thing has taken off the way it has. While he still believes there's room in the market for new breweries to carve their own path and achieve the kind of success Magic Rock has, he also feels the barriers to entry have become higher along with the level of skill, originality and ultimately investment needed to start up and get noticed. I'd compare what will now be necessary for a new brewery startup to opening a restaurant. There's always room for new food places but you'll need to be original and offer something different to the market if you want to take the place of an existing operator. I think starting a craft brewery and particularly scaling up to a bigger size will be like this going forward, he says. When we're talking about market clout though, the elephant in the room, or other big game at least, is clearly Magic Rock's sale earlier this year to South African drinks giant Lion. One of several such buyouts of mature UK craft breweries over the past 12 months or so, it was clearly a bold move on Richard's part, and he freely concedes it was the toughest call he had to make for the business. If you remember recently, I was talking about a brewery in London called Dipsy Hill. And they said in the last five years they'd become the largest independent craft brewery in London because all their other competitors had been bought out by bigger players. It's a similar thing here. And again, I know certain people who won't touch breweries once they've been bought out by a bigger player. Stupid, I know, but that's some people's mentality. Anyway, back to the article. I'm satisfied it was the right decision though, he says confidently. We're approaching capacity at the current site and it was clear the next expansion would necessitate a very considerable level of risk, both to myself and my family, but also to the business, its employees and shareholders. I have zero experience of growing businesses and was increasingly feeling the weight of responsibility for the long-term success of Magic Rock 
and the well-being of our 45 plus employees. So when someone like Lyon, with expertise and experience in growing breweries, comes along and offers to help you without risk, it's an attractive proposition. From a culture and spirit point of view, maintaining and investing in production to our current site in Huddersfield is key to me. Towns like this are struggling, as bigger cities are invested in more and bringing investment town to my hometown was essential. Lyon were completely on board and have a great track record in that regard. So far so good. There has inevitably been some backlash from the wider craft community, but not on the same scale as other breweries who have taken a similar path. There's definitely a sense that people are still rooting for Magic Rock eight years after its founding, and are genuinely pleased with its success. The support locally has been fantastic, and the tap room has never been busier, continues Richard. As a business with the same people, and I feel a renewed resolve after the last few months to make us the best we can possibly be. We're adding some fantastic new employees, and I don't know if it's a cliche, but people should judge us on the quality of our beer, which is only going to improve. On this front, the next couple of years are shaping up to be very exciting for Richard and the team. Still relatively small in industry terms, and the intention is to ramp this up considerably in the coming months, getting those distinctive cans into a lot more hands. Lion is already living up to its promises and investing big in the capacity upgrade as its Huddersfield site, as well as additional tap rooms to build on its retail success. I think there's a lot more to achieve as a brewery, concludes Richard. Despite being well known in the craft beer world, the vast majority of people still have no idea who we are. With the backing we have now, I believe we can change that, while staying true to the principles that have brought us this far. My final beer for this show is a beer I have drank ten times. Nine times plus this one. A 6% surreal stout from Magic Rock called Dark Arts. Dark Arts blends four malts and bags of whole hops to deliver a decadently deep and indulgent experience. A truly luxurious mouthfeel is followed by spicy hop notes and full flavours of chocolate, licorice, berries and figs. The finish is rich and satisfying with a lingering toasted business. Our stout will convert you to the dark side. And my usual joke is the Harry Potter joke, as this is Dark Arts. Every time I drink this, I type in my untapped description. Beer so good, you need a defence against it. Welcome back, here we are. Sunday show, bits from lockdown. 15th of September, tonight I have a can from Huddersfield. Magic Rock Bruco Dark Arts Real Stout. Looking back through my history, this in a can never, ever fails to impress me. I've had a little bit of a dodgy one on cask before, but all in all, the can's never fail to impress. Comes in a 330ml can, it's 6% and used by the 29th of the 7th 20. So let's see how this slightly out of date can pans out. Black, completely black, artwork on the can. 
with like white circles on it. It's got a black rim. The only thing that isn't black is the base. So there we go. Let's get this open and see what I think. Dark Arts, Cerebral Stout. Three, two, one. There we go. Ow. Got my Sidefest 3 glass for this one. There we are, look at that. Look at that, pulls a nice black colour with a one and a half finger foamy tan head. Oh, smells good, smells good. It's down me and see what I think. Not literally, I hope. I don't want to ruin this nice blue shirt. Cheers, guys. amazing absolutely amazing as always mm, nice chocolate bitter yeah that's good I like that I'm liking that bitterness, spice hoppiness and chocolate. That mm, that is getting full marks. Five out of five. That is the absolute epitome of good beer. In my opinion. Yeah, love that. One of my absolute all-time favourite beers. And I forgot I had it in this Pecanda box. Because I, uh, I did a beer order from Tesco a couple of weeks ago and I ordered a can of this because they had it in. I prefer the old artwork with the ghosts. The new artwork with all the strange circles. Mm. Oh, that is the... For me, that is perfection. Absolute perfection. So do these cans fail to... Disappoint. I'm gonna go, I'll finish this off. Have a great evening, enjoy yourself what you're doing, stay safe, and I'll see you soon. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's anything you've seen that you think I should try and review, then you can get in contact by emailing cyberbeer at cyberbeer.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram using at cyber underscore beer, or you can find us on Facebook by typing in cyberbeer. And if you want to see the process in process, follow me on Twitter and Periscope. Periscope is just at Cyberbeer, all one word. Or you can watch through the Twitter account or 
on the Facebook account. I go live on Facebook as well. On a Monday and a Tuesday, set your notifications because I never really know when I'm going to go live. Don't have a set time. It depends on the weather. It's sometimes afternoon, sometimes it's evenings. Sometimes it's a bit of both. And occasionally I do a weekend as well, a Saturday or a Sunday. Or both. So just stay tuned to find out what's going on. So like, set your notifications. So you're notified when I go live. To find out where I am and what I'm doing that week. And remember to subscribe to the podcast so you get the next episode when it drops. Oh, my God.